mentioned we were at the uh, Refreshing Our Marriage Conference. It was very, very fun. Amanda and I um, emceed the whole thing, and uh, gosh, it was very, very fun. We had a number of us were there, and um, just just for next year, if you're like, man, you know, be, do we need something in our marriage? If you're like thinking to yourself, look, we're not in crisis, but it'd be fun to go and just get a little bit of a tune-up or whatever. That was what that was. It was really, really fun. We had, you know, a ton of people from, from Mariner's Mission Viejo, from some of the other Mariner's campuses as well. It was a great, great time. So very, um, very cool to be doing that. And one of the things I was thinking about even as we start our new series today on the art of relationships, it is kind of amazing that um, the, the, the marriage conference and the art of relationship series kind of coincided. And I think there's a lot of crossover from what, uh, you know, even with some of the stuff I got is, is learning about how to have my own marriage tuned up a bit um, in the past couple of days being there and then um, even as we start this series. So hopefully there's some good um, influence in that way, mutually influencing itself. Now, um, I just want to say if you're new with us, again, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, this is a place we say often, if you're just kind of curious, like what do they do about here? What's their deal? Here's the way we say it. And my guess is if you someone brought you, because most of the time people come to church because they're invited by someone else. Generally that person is hanging out with them, sitting with them, whatever. They might have tried to repeat something along these lines, which is this. We are a group of people who are trying to f- figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and love other people. We are convinced of a couple things within that. One is that none of us does that perfectly. That every one of us is trying to follow Jesus is about as, that's right where we are. None of us is perfect in all of that. Secondly is... Um, none of us has all the answers. If you are looking for someone to give you every answer to every question, we probably don't have it. Um, in fact, I know we don't have it. And if you're, you know, in fact, I hear a lot of people will say to me after, you know, they, they're new and they're like, hey, I've been here for a couple weeks. One of the reasons I stay here, in fact, sometimes they'll, they'll say the only reason why I decided to come back is because you don't have all the answers. And you say you don't have all the answers. I'm like, is there any other reason why you might have wanted to come back? Anything else? It's like there's a, roughly a time where there's, there's some singing. There's also a guy who talks. A little bit? You're like, no, no, just, okay, great. So um, if that's you, you want to join us in this journey of following Jesus, great. I'm glad that you're with us. Hopefully there's some new insight or something that God gives you today that may, maybe kind of paints a better picture of his love for you and what that might look like to be here. Um, and great stuff happening. Our, you know, like I told you guys last week, we are narrowing down um, our, in our interview process, our, some of our volunteers and teams of um, leadership from our church are interviewing folks who are candidates for our high school ministry position, which we're really, whoa, exactly. We're really excited about that. So that's moving forward. Great stuff's happening. Now, in this series, um, I'm going to tell you, we're, we're, we're going to talk for a couple weeks on this idea of relationships, but I want to tell you, in a series like this, you know, if you've been with us before, you've seen us do this, which th- all that means is we're, we either take a section of, you know, the Bible, of Scripture, or we'll take a topic and we'll spend some time on it. Now, in a topic like relationships, you're going to have a lot of questions that come up during that conference, and I, and I won't be able to get to everything in the first week, because you're going to be like, he didn't, say, he didn't talk about that, or he talked about one thing, but didn't, he didn't finish that up. I just want to let you know. For this to really make sense, you're going to have to commit to be here for a couple weeks. Because all I'm going to do today is kind of set some stuff up. And which I should say also, this is a bad day if you decide to switch to decaf. Okay? I'm going to come at you with a lot. You're going to have to do some heavy lifting. You need to be alert. You're going to have to be with me. I know that you are. This is a sharp group. But I just want to let you know, if you switch to decaf and need to go out to, you know, get some more coffee, please feel free to do so. Because um, it's going to be a little bit of, like, work. Okay. Now, um, what we'll talk about in this series, quite honestly, is... Um, I think it's probably the most difficult and important work you could do in your life. What we'll talk about in this series is what I believe to be the most important and most difficult work you could do in your life. Um, I I think it's, the way to describe it is, it's one thing we were all made for, which is, you know, relationships. Um, I would say, um, of all the questions I get asked by people as once they find out I'm a pastor, which is always weird when they find out I'm a pastor, you know, like, 
I, I told you guys, I'm pretty insecure about that. You know, like, I'm not, un, I'm, I love what I do. I'm grateful that this is my job. I love our church. I would go to our church if, I, you know, I just, I, I love my job. But when people ask me what I do, I always, like, think, oh, what's, what's next? You know, like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And then they immediately evaluate. They literally do a head-to-toe, like, I don't know. I don't know if you are. And it's like, well, how, wait. <laughs> Come on. Um, but of the, all the questions I get, inevitably those questions are not questions about, um, even when they're questions about, now what about, like, what do you think about asteroids uh, hitting the earth? And they're like asking these big questions. I'm like, I don't know the answers to that. But invariably, even in those questions that are way out there, most of the time what they're really asking me is this. I'm lonely. I need to make sense of the world, and I don't know how to do it, and I'm struggling in my relationships and my relational worth. Do you have any insight for me? Essentially is what they're asking. Even the ones that start way out there with the outer reaches of quantum mechanics. With like, like, I'm not an astrophysicist, just a pastor. I don't know how to answer that question. But I can tell you about a guy that loves you is kind of where I end up getting to more often than not with people. And that's really what they're looking at. So relationships are everywhere. They're part of all the stuff that we're looking at. Um, and they're, they, they affect all of us in different ways. So with that in mind, let's pray. We'll jump in today, see what God has to say for us in the Art of Relationships series as we begin it today. Father, we are all longing for a depth of connection in our lives. We're longing to see that our lives have meaning and that they have relational connectedness. We often, Father, tolerate our own shallowness, and we're frustrated by the shallowness of other people. Father, we've been wounded. We're afraid of being wounded again. Occasionally, Jesus, we've been those who have done some wounding. Father, we need, um, we need your help. We believe, Jesus, that there is a wholeness that only you can bring to us. So, Father, for just a moment, would you speak to us in stillness, in just a few seconds of really some silence, that you, would you speak to us about the way in which you intend or the fact that you intend for us to be made whole in you and that you come for us because you love us? Jesus, just speak to us for a few moments in stillness. Jesus, today, would you show us a a clearer picture of yourself? Might we have another understanding about what it means to be connected to other people in humility and in joy and in love? Might you remind us, Jesus, that we are dearly, dearly loved by you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I, I, uh, we, we have an outline when you came in here, you want to, or a bulletin when you came in, you want to turn it over, there's a, an outline on there. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis 1 uh, and in John 17 and then in Galatians 5. You can look there if you want. Um, everything you need, if you don't know what I'm even saying, what those, what those are, those are all parts of the Bible. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can turn there. Um, if you wish, just, you can look on your outline and see what that is, or everything you need will be on the screen. So whatever it is that you need to help you kind of grasp some of what we're going to talk about, great. Um, but this Thursday night, you know, on Thursday nights what I do is I take, it's the, basically it's the first run of this message. So on Thursday night I'm talking to our Thursday night crew in here and we're, we're talking about stuff. And I, I, I started, you know, we had, we actually had an interesting conversation. At the end of it I said, I kind of decided, we'll, we'll just do a and a afterwards, which we don't have the luxury of doing that here. Um, but in that, in that regard, if you do have questions that you think, man, I would love for them to try to tackle this. We can't get to every one of them. But if you want to use this, the MV Connect, you saw that earlier. If you want to text us a question, like, hey, just write, this is a question for the series, relationships. I want to ask a question. I want to see if it can get answered. Again, we can't answer every one of them, but maybe there's some things that might influence. If there's enough people asking the same question, maybe it influences the way that the series goes a little bit. So keep that in mind if you want to do that as well. But um, there is, there is, it was, we had some great conversation. In fact, I think 
from Thursday night, it actually influenced a little bit. I actually made some changes to today's message because of it. So um, let me ask you, just show of hands really quickly. If we're in a relationship, this is a little bit of sort of family time. I'm not going to ask you for specifics. But it, are you a person um, who has, uh, at one point in your life, you have, you have been wounded in a relationship, any kind of relationship? Someone has hurt you. Some of you are impervious to pain. Just lower the dosage on some of whatever you're taking, okay? Um, how many of you, again, admitting some stuff here, people are already crossing their arms, I don't want to play this game. Uh, how many of you have actually wounded someone else? Some people are like, I've never done that. What is that like? Is it weird when you hurt other people's feelings? No, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I've never done it either. Um, how many of you in a relationship are more likely to catastrophize anything that happens? In other words, you're looking at something that's like, this is a catastrophe, and you're like, you make it way worse than it is. You're more likely to do that. Like reading into way too much. People are not super sure they should raise their hand because then it will be a catastrophe, right? How many of you, <laughs> how many of you are more likely to minimize things and blow them off like who cares? This is not a big deal. <laughs> how many of you um, have ever said in your life, after a dating breakup, for instance, you said, I'm never, I'm just never dating again. Find me an island. I will live there. Mine, I will live off the land. Cast away. Okay, you thought about that. You thought about that. How many of you who, want, who, who dedicated your life to that ambition during that, that time where you swore off, I will never, ever date, and I will never be in another relationship, you met the person you married? Yep, happens very often. <laughs> I'm never dating again except for that person. Okay? <laughs> happens all the time. The truth is that everybody comes at relationships with all kinds of different stories and personalities and uh, backgrounds and knee-jerk reactions and whatever. All of those kinds of things influence the way we have our own relationships. And so when we talk about relationships, there's a lot involved in it. There's so much to be said about it. And what I want to do as we talk today is I want to set up a baseline for the rest of the next couple of weeks as we're together talking about this subject. Some of what we talk about is going to apply directly to you, but I just want to, I want to give you a sense that what we'll talk about today is to set up future weeks. So you're going to be like, why didn't you say? I already mentioned this, but I just want to reiterate. Commit to the series so that you get a better sense of what we're talking about when the Bible talks about relationships and what it all means. All right? Cool? More or less. Okay, here we go. Let's start with Genesis chapter 1. This is among the most famous passages in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 is the beginning of stuff. This is the sixth day of creation. God says this. So God, or the Bible says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now all this is saying is, as we're looking at this passage is, you, all human beings everywhere in the world are created in God's image. Everybody in that sense is what's called an image bearer. Um, the, the, the best way to kind of think about this is, at least this is helpful to me. In the ancient world, when... Uh, people would establish a, a and this is in all, across lots of cultures in the ancient Near East, people would establish a God that they were worshiping and they would build a temple in honor of that God. What they would then do at some point during the dedication of that temple is they would place a statue or a representation of the God to be worshipped in that temple such that people would walk in and go, oh, this is the God they worship here. In the story of creation, which mirrors the way, in which, mirrors the, the temple dedication of the ancient Near East, on a particular day, there is the image of the God who is to be worshipped placed in all of the universe. The implication is that God is the God of the whole universe. His temple is all of creation. And in the middle of it, there is his representation. So as if to say, who is worshipped here? It's the God who looks like that. That's us, human beings, image bearers of God. Now what that means then is this. People should look 
at least, or should give off the impression of some part of what God is like. Even if that image is a little bit blurry or a little bit dusty or there's some cracks in the mirror or whatever else, there still is some kind of indication of what God is kind of like, at least at some level. So to back up, let's look at what the image of that God is like to the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. Now note, what I want you to see is there is actually something kind of peculiar in this, which you may have seen this before but never caught this part of it, which is this. There are, there are essentially three things happening here or three persons happening here. Check this out. You have a God who creates, which will later, that will be something appropriated to the word Father. You'll see that a lot, God the Father. And God also as spirit hovering over the surfaces of the water. And then you have God saying something. Now, you may have an understanding about the idea of a God creator. That may not, that may not be something that's too far-fetched for you. And you may have an idea about God being spirit, but the idea of God being something said is a little bit funky. Let me just kind of give you a sense of what that looks like. In John chapter 1, this is the way the gospel writer John, one of Jesus' disciples, describes Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Remember, God said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, to reiterate. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has not been made. Nothing was made that hasn't been made. So you have this idea here. There is a God who creates, a spirit of God, and God said. Now, what is so unique is the relationship between these three persons of a single God. This will later become known as something called the Trinity. Now, this is the super mysterious kind of thing. I, this is one of those things people ask questions of me all about, and I don't know how to explain it. I'll tell you how people talked about it in the 6th century. In the 6th century, they began to try to figure out, how do we talk about this relationship between a God who is three persons in one? What do we do with that? The word they use to describe the relationship between God as these three persons, is this word, perichoresis, Greek word. It means dance. Literally, it means to dance around. Peri means around, choresis. You get words like, um, actually, it means like to move, but you get the idea of um, the choreography. This is just simply saying a dance around. It's a dance, a circular kind of dance, a rotation. Now, the idea is that there is these three persons of God who are in a kind of relationship that is mutual and reciprocal and ordered and has the kind of feeling of a dance. Stay with me again. You're like, I, I should not have switched to decaf. Where's he going? Bear with me. This is from some research I did. Perichoresis describes the manner in which the three persons of God relate to one another. The concept of perichoresis allows the individuality of the persons to be maintained while insisting that each person shares in the life of the other two. An image often used to express this idea is that of a community of being. The mutual relationships among three co-equal persons within the Godhead, just Godhead is a strange way of just saying God, have been argued to provide a model for human relationships. Now, you were created in God's image. That image has a particular characteristic about it, to break it down. We are made in God's image. Apparently, God is relational within himself, which is kind of a great big mystery. How does a God of three persons be relational and still be one self and all that? But here's what you get. God is relational, and that relationship described as a dance between three persons. If we're created in God's image and God is relational, we are all made for relationship. Nobody ever gets to say, I'm swearing off relationships for the rest of my life. I'm never doing it ever again because that's not how you were intended. In fact, 
I would say, which we'll talk about in a little bit, more often than not, what people will say is, actually, I could say it this way, we are so created for relationships that there is an indicator that is on the negative side of things that indicates that we actually are created for this. One of those things is that the specter of loneliness is always kind of in the background of our lives. That the most frightening thing that anybody could ever imagine, it's the cause of all of, of so many of our own choices that we will later regret in our life are because we're afraid of being alone. We will make choices to be with people that we should not be with. We'll make choices to give up or compromise certain things in our own life because we're afraid of being alone. Or we will make choices to mask the feeling of being alone, of being lonely. Because all of us were made for relationship. We know that the psychological impact of people who are trapped or left alone or isolated for years and years and years or people who are kept in isolation, even in prison, we know that, for, that the, the psychological impact is so dire that even people who are in unhealthy relationships do better than people who are kept from those unhealthy relationships in isolation and loneliness. We were made for relationships. And this relationship apparently is kind of a dance. Sometimes we're good at that dance. Sometimes we're not so good. God is inviting us to be a part of his own kind of dance within us, with him. He'll say this. Jesus is, um, as he's approaching his, um, the cross, and you can look at this in John chapter 13. He starts talking about the idea with his disciples. He has a last supper. He tells them, here's what I want you guys to do. The way they're going to know you guys are part of me is you're going to love each other. And then in John chapter 14, he says, hey, I'm going to go off to the, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to go somewhere you can't go. And they all say, well, we don't know where we're going to go. How do we get to where we're supposed to go? And he says, don't worry, I'm the way. And he says, oh, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, to which they're like, we don't get it. Just don't worry about it. John 15, he says, I want you guys to the disciples. He says, abide in me, stay in me, make your home in me. John 16, he starts talking about the relationship of himself and the Holy Spirit. And then you get to John 17 where he prays for his disciples. And I want you to see the way in which he prays. Bearing in mind, God's image bearers are intended to dance like God is within himself, relational. Check out how he uses the words. John 17, beginning of verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking to his disciples, or to God about his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. There's this relational kind of component here. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Notice what's happening. Father, Jesus is speaking, you and I are one. Might they be one, and might they be in us? Now you can see is that we're sort of invited into this dance here with Jesus, who is in his own relationship with his own Father. And he keeps saying over and over again, we want that kind of oneness for the people. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought together in complete unity. Now what's being said here is this. I'm going to go to this real quick too. Then the world will know that, they, that you sent me and have loved me even as I have loved. Okay, now, here's what I want you to capture. This is the last part I don't want you to lose. Okay, you listen to this. Jesus is saying, all other relationship survival is dependent on the ability of people to be united with Jesus himself. You may not agree with that. I'm just expressing to you what Jesus is expressing in his own prayer. Your relationships are 
are directly cor- are direct correlates of how your own relationship with Jesus himself. Some of you are like, I'm not ready for that. I get it. I'm just explaining to you what Jesus is speaking about to his own father in prayer is, in order for these people to have the kind of unity in relationship, to conduct a proper dance, so to speak, they'll have to be connected to me, and I'll have to be connected to them, and they'll have to be connected to you through me. Now, what I'll say is this. What happens to people is this. So foundationally, all relationships flow out of this relationship with God. What happens to people, one of the indicators I see more often than not, in guys. Now, I'll just tell you, I don't, I don't know how women, I don't have the same understanding. But for guys, I'm just speaking to you guys for a second. When men begin to encounter the reality that God loves them unconditionally, that wants to be with them, to walk with them, to shape them, what happens to men more often than not, they begin to do something. The depth of their own relationships improves with, each, with other people. But one of the things we see in men, and this is going to be, for some of you guys who are new to church, you're like, I'm not going to church, I just don't know about this, what do they do here? Here's one of the things that might surprise you. What happens to men is they actually have a greater capacity for emotion. They actually start crying more. Now some of you are like, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want Jesus, I'm going to start crying. Let me just explain. This isn't like every guy who ever met Jesus is like, well, I guess I better get a diary and just start, you know. Dear diary, today I saw, you know, it's like, it's not that every moment is lived in tears. I mean, people have this impression that people who come to Jesus who are guys just lose everything what it means to be a man, and I get that. Now, just pray with me. What we understand as guys, whether or not we inherited this or we have taken this on ourselves, what we begin to believe is my role is to not lose it emotionally. Everybody else, my little kids and the women in my life, again, working with some stereotypes here, can cry, but I don't get that luxury. I have to keep it together. It's part of what makes me a guy. Now, what ends up happening, what you hear from people, what I hear from people from the other side of the spectrum, from women and from kids, will say, I never saw my dad ever show any emotion. He comes across as cold. When guys meet Jesus, what they begin to start understanding is they begin to have a new kind of empathy, a new kind of compassion. That it is actually Jesus who begins to develop within, within guys an ability to have a new kind of empathy and a compassion that they never had before. It doesn't mean that they're uncontrollably in tears all the time. It just means that there's something within them, an indicator that God is present, is that they begin to have a greater degree of empathy for other people. Some of you, I, I talk to you and say, I never saw my dad ever show any emotion. I never saw my father. You're like, you'll tell me this stuff. You've never had it modeled for you what it means to be a truly empathetic guy. Can I still be like a guy and cry? It's like, yeah, this is kind of what God intends for you a little bit at least is to have a sensitivity. Now, what nobody has to tell us is, is our relationships are difficult. We already talked about it. You guys confessed already a little bit like I've, I've been wounded. I've wounded other people. Now, the way in which the Apostle Paul will talk to the early church about the nature of their relationships, he'll start talking to them in such a way as to say, look, there's a way we can move forward because people who follow Jesus, Jesus wasn't starting a church. He was just inaugurating something called the kingdom of God. Then, all, then Jesus has his life, death, and resurrection, and the people go, well, now what do we do? And people like Paul, among other people, are like, here's how the church should work. We've got to figure out the nature of the relationships between all of us. In fact, the church is so unique in the ancient world, it's still unique to this day, but not nearly as it once was, which is this. 
in the ancient world, you have all of these different groups of people who would never even, in many cases, touch each other. Jews and Greeks and Romans and even people within those different, those different groups of people had different strata. There were some people who were rich and, and could, you know, could afford all kinds of stuff and had all kinds of influence who didn't associate with people who worked the land. You had slaves and you had, you had slave owners and you had people who were politicians and whatever else. And in the community of people who belong to the church, you have all the strata horizontally and vertically. And all these people are like, now how do we do this? Because before we couldn't even touch each other. And now we're supposed to be under the same gathering space. We're all gathered around Jesus. And what are we supposed to do? So Paul will write to the churches trying to say, here's how you got to work it out. There's all kinds of conflict and stuff they got to work through. And he starts right here saying, it is going to be a relational community of people under Jesus. Here's how at least it starts to work. He says this in Galatians 5.13. He says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, which is just like selfish desire, selfish indulgence. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The orientation of people toward each other in the early church, Paul will say, has to be about people who are willing to serve each other. That's the orientation in which people have toward each other. It can't be, well, I'm one of these people and they're one of those people, so we don't. He just goes, no, no, here's how it's going to work. You have been people who are united under this person, Jesus, which means the way in which we look at each other is serving one another in love, humbly. Next, he'll say this. For the entire law, everything we're trying to figure out how we're supposed to be in the church with each other, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul here is quoting Jesus, who's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, which Leviticus gets a bad rap. That's where it's from. He's saying... There is a prevailing ethic which is going to guide our community, and it's about us loving other people as we love ourselves. Now, I, wanna, I, want, I want you to hear this. Some of you who grew up in the church are not going to like the next thing I say because you're going to feel like this is, this is, this. We don't say that in church. Some of you who are not from the church are going to be like, that's, not a, that's nothing. That's not even a thing, okay? Let me just give you a sense of what this is. What I'm going to show you next is something that's really critical, and for some of us who grew up in the church, it's a difficult one to kind of swallow, and you're going to be like, I don't get why that's even just... You ready for this? Here we go. You sure? It's not that big a deal. Here we go. My ability to love any neighbor is directly proportional to my ability to love myself. And you're like, oh, gosh. It sounds like a self-help kind of, did Oprah write that for you, Jeff? Is that what that is? Okay. Bear with me. Let me show you what this means. When Jesus says from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself, what he's saying is, if you do not have the capacity to receive the love that is already given to you by God, your own ability to love other people will be, will be grossly compromised. So, my ability to love any neighbor is directly proportional to my ability to love myself. I, um, you know, again, I, I, I'm on a plane one time with a guy who is, um, I'm sitting next to him, and this guy goes, you know, again, and he started a conversation with someone on a plane within the first six or seven sentences, what do you do? Please don't be weirded out when I tell you my answer. I, I've tried to think of a million answers. People always give me great answers to give. You guys give me great answers. You know, one person said, like, I work for, you know, this global corporation. It's, you know, the C I work with this, I meet with the CEO every day. And I'm like, I got it. That's, I, I can't pull that off. So I just go, I'm a pastor. And he was like, oh. I'm like, oh, how long is this flight? Could, do you have an ambient for yourself, sir? I mean, I just wanted to say that. I did not say that. That's just I said in my own evil heart. I just, whatever. I just want you to fall right to sleep. Jesus, make him go to sleep. No, it didn't work. 
So he says to me, he goes, oh, you know, and he, he, he goes, I'm Jewish. And I go, okay. And he goes, he goes, I just don't believe in, like, the Corinthians and stuff. As if the Corinthians are a gathering of, it's just, this is a part of the Bible written to a people who live in Corinth called the first and second, letter to the first and second Corinthians. He's like, I just don't believe in the Corinthians and stuff. I can't do that. I was like, okay. Now, over the course of the conversation, he begins to start talking about his own life. And I cannot believe what he begins to divulge to me. Talking about his own marriage and about what some of the decisions he's made in his marriage. And he goes, he begins to start talking about what I ultimately emerges. This guy does not. He, he actually has a serious issue with self-loathing. This guy hates himself. And he is sabotaging his own marriage. And he begins to talk then. He goes, yeah, I've spent some time with prostitutes. And I'm like, you're saying this in the plane. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And he begins to believe about himself that he is undeserving of any kind of love. And he begins to self-fulfill his own belief about how he sees what, whatever, however he is. And he begins to sabotage his own relationships and begins to start working towards a, a future that he has made for himself in which he believes he's worth nothing. To which I said to him, how's all that working for you? Because remember the conversation starts out pretty self-righteous. I don't believe in your whatever, your garbage you got. I'm like, okay, a lot of people don't. You know, like, and he begins to start telling me all this stuff. How's it working? He goes, it's not working. There's a person here I'm talking to next to this, this point who believes that it, he is so not worth anything and it is, it is drastically impacting the way in which he loves the people that are most important to him. Some of you grew up in a church where you're not allowed to say this. This is not worshiping yourself. This is the idea of receiving the love that has been given to you by Jesus, poured out for you on the cross. It is not self-worship. It is the idea of saying, God, is, God has uniquely made me and gifted me. I am not perfect. And man, does he love me. That is the, the, the way in which we love other people the way we were intended to love them, is by understanding that we are first loved. That's the only way to dance. Or else we turn into this, Paul will say. If you bite, and this next verse, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Paul will say, hey, here's our prevailing ethic. Love one another as we love ourselves. That's what we should do. And then he says the very next thing. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Some translations say, if you're always biting and devouring, you'll be destroyed. One, said, one translation says, watch out that you don't consume each other. Now the reason why people bite and devour each other stems from their belief and their own understanding and their own reaction or counter-reaction to loneliness. You have been given a relational appetite. You were created with a relational appetite. You were intended for it. And there are times in our lives when our relational appetite goes a little haywire. We start choosing things that are not good for us because they're right there. And it's better to be full even if I have to bite and devour in my relationships or allow myself to be bitten and devoured in my relationships than to be alone. The other day, um, Amanda made, um, my, my food weakness is macaroni and cheese of virtually all varieties. I mean, it could be out of a box. It could be the imitation. It could be, you know, there's craft, which is great. Then there could be the imitation target. It doesn't matter. All of it. So if I found it in the gutter, I'd be like, man, how long has it been there? That's probably fine. I, I just, I just, I am powerless against, it's my, to quote my own boss who says this often, he goes, it's my, it's my dark master. This is my dark master. So Amanda makes what amounts to essentially a barrel, <laughs> a ginormous portion of macaroni and cheese from, you know, of some kind of cookbook. So it's a homemade macaroni and cheese. And she made way too much. 
and it's in our refrigerator. Now, I can have a little bite of that. It's good every so often. But I, um, I don't have the ability to just kind of turn that off. Uh, so I, not too long, this a couple days ago, I'm getting, I put some in the bowl, heat it up in the microwave, and while it's in the microwave, I'm like, this is taking too long. I'm just spooning it <laughs> out of the, out of this giant thing into my mouth. Like, this is, this is so good. And this doesn't even count because it's not even in the bowl. So I'm just like, <laughs> kids are like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, uh, I was just looking in the fridge for something. Is there anything? Is there, looking for the, the jam on the bottom of this. It's not in there. It's just face cover. You know, it's like, this is, this is pitiful. We have a reaction to bite and devour people or to be bite and devoured because our own appetite for relationships has gone haywire. And it's usually what bends it around that is the fear of loneliness. I talk to people all the time who say essentially, look, I've just, I, I really am serious about Jesus, but I have to put him on the shelf now because I, I'm so afraid of being alone. They won't say it exactly like this, but they're basically saying, I'm put him on the shelf now. I'm so afraid of being alone. I'm choosing to do some stuff that I know is going to damage me because it's better than being alone. When I was a high school pastor, I had a kid tell me once, I was, this, I was just watching him getting treated like dirt by his friends over and over and over again. I go, dude, what are you doing? He goes, listen, all seriousness, he goes, I'd rather be treated like than be alone. I go, really? He goes, yeah, this is just, I just can't imagine the idea of being alone. Our own adult life, we do the same thing. We're afraid of being alone, so we bite and devour. We allow ourselves to be bitten and devoured. We'll say this phrase roughly. I would rather choose empty, unhealthy, or going nowhere relationships than to be alone. The specter of loneliness beneath everything else in our relationships drives us to make really poor choices. We were intended to be in a loving relationship with God, who, which influences our relationship with other people. Or people will say, God's kind of in the way. I'm choosing it for myself. I'm so hungry, it doesn't matter. I would rather be one who is being bitten and devoured, or I'd rather be a biter and a devourer because I'm so lonely. Over and over again, people will say this to me in their own ways, using their own terminology, describing what that looks like. But here's what we know. In every relationship, whatever the dance looks like, the stepping on toes that we kind of do, kicking each other in the shins, all of that, here's what we know. There are at least two broken people in every relationship. At least. There may be more than that. But there's at least two broken people in every single relationship. Sometimes I am a biter and a devourer. And sometimes so is the other person. Here's what I want you to do. Would you just say for one moment, would you just... Repeat after me. Sometimes I resort to biting and devouring. Okay, in a second, you're going to say it. I don't have it on the screen. I didn't type it for you. You have to memorize that long passage. Sometimes I resort to biting and devouring. Ready? You got that? Can you think it one more time? Sometimes I resort to biting and devouring. On the count of three, we're going to say it. Are you ready? It's a real inspirational kind of message. I know. You want to be shouting this out from the rooftops. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Sometimes I resort to biting and devouring. Don't you feel better having said that? Okay, now here's why I want you to say that. Because we're going to come back to this. There are three prayers that we pray. We don't always call them prayers, but there are three prayers that we pray in all of our relationships of our own choosing. There are some relationships we have. I'm not talking about the ones that you are forced into because you're, you know, you're, you're born into a family or you have a brother or sister or whatever. These are things that you did not choose. I'm talking about the relationships of our own choosing here. There are three prayers we pray, and they're really important. If you get a handle on these things, it will shape the rest of your relationships the rest of your life. 
Now, I will say this. There are two prayers that we pray, and there's one that we should pray. <laughs> See if you can figure it out. Okay, here we go. Prayer number one. God, find me the right person, which may be another person. <laughs> Here's the way that goes. In the world, there is a myth propagated that goes like this. The universe has a single soulmate for you. It is the essence of a romantic comedy, by the way. I found my soulmate, and then we broke up, and then we got back together. It's, so, it's the best story ever. Every story is like that. Now, there's a soulmate for you. You just have to find that right person. Okay. Now, I'll tell you, the Christian version of that, which this will ruffle some people's feathers. Some of you are about to have a bubble burst. Prepare yourselves for the, like, what that might mean for you. The Christian version of this, which, I, you know, again, I talked to a bunch of folks on Thursday night who are usually, they're, these are like college-age folks, young adults, a lot of them. This was, a, this was a gigantic slap for them. They were not ready for this. God has got a single person for you that is your soulmate. And your quest in all, all the billions of people in the world is to find that one person, and you better get it right or else you screw it up for everybody. Amen. I mean, that's like the whole, that's their whole belief. Now, I want to understand, some of you are like, but God doesn't have a single person for me. Let me just explain how that is a little bit crazy, okay? I want you to imagine a sample of, equal par- uh, of sample of people that are equal parts male and equal parts female. And I want you to understand that if God has pre-designed for you to have a specific kind of perfect extra other soulmate, what this would look like, okay? It means that some people are, quote, in God's will and some people, you know, we'll see what happens. Man A is supposed to marry woman A. And they get married. And the global balance of all things that is right is maintained. Man B, same thing. Global balance of all things. God's will is protected. Man C goes crazy. And he marries woman E, who was already pre-decided to marry man E. But now man E, no matter what he does, can't marry the person he was supposed to. And now the global cataclysm of domino effect of people not marrying who they were supposed to and never being able to redeem the right relationship ever. And so now it's all over. That's crazy, guys. If one person screws it up, then the whole world is over. Our quest, then, isn't simply what we start praying is, and I'll tell you how this plays out in marriages. In marriages, the way this plays, so first of all, for people who are not yet married, you are, there is, constantly I get the question, I don't know if this is the right person. I don't know if it's my soulmate. I don't know if this is the right person God has for me. Well, I don't know that either, but you're probably looking a little bit for some kind of mystical signal that may not come for you about that. Secondly, for people who are already married who believe this, what happens to people in marriage if they believe this this prayer, this is their sincere prayer, when things get really difficult, what they'll start saying is, God, I don't think this is the right person. I think that you, I must have screwed up the global balance of all things because I married someone who's making it kind of hard to be married. So I should go find another person. Now, we don't say it quite like that, but that's actually what happens. I have friends who this actually happened to them. This is actually their, their experience of being married and divorced i got to go find another person because this is really too hard. We can't, we can't have been meant for each other because otherwise it would have been easier. Next, prayer. God, fix them so they become the right person. <laughs> I've been married to this bonehead for so long. I'm doing all I can. Fix them so they become the right person. 
I guarantee the other person you're married to, if you're praying that prayer, is praying the same thing. God, fix them, make them the better, make them the right person. Now, again, this is not, this is for relationships of our own choosing. Some people are in relationships that they did not choose because it's their apparent-child relationship. And maybe this is the only prayer you can pray for that person. I get it. That's okay. But in relationships of our own choosing, it is not, it's more common than not, I found, that people will choose relationships of people that they can be a part of the fixing of them. Oh, I find this person's kind of a nightmare, but I can fix them. I don't mean me, I mean God, but I mean I can fix them. That's what kind of I want to do. Now, I'm going to save you some money. Some of you need to be in marriage counseling. I've been in marriage counseling. You should go. There are things in which your life changes when you, ha- when you first get married, then you have kids. And there are just different stages where you might need to get extra insight in your own marriage. I believe in it. I'm not ashamed of being in marriage counseling, but I just want to save you some money for your first couple sessions so you can get right to it, okay? Because it's expensive. So here's what I want you to know. When you go to marriage counseling, they will say, what's going on in your marriage? They'll meet with you probably individually. You know, sometimes they'll meet with you together, but they'll meet with you individually. And they'll go, tell me what's going on in your marriage. And you go, i got to tell you about this person I'm married to. And, the, and what all good therapists, counselors, whatever will say, they'll just they'll say this a lot. Mm-hmm. And you go, they'll go, tell us about your, your spouse. And you go, well, man. They'd say, this is what they do. Mm-hmm. And what else? And they said this. Mm. And then what happened? Well, then I went down this road. Da, 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 and then this is what I, mm-hmm. Is there anything else? Yes. And then there's, and they just kind of go on and on. And then you go, and then they'll ask you, is there, and that's that right there, that's $100. That's an hour right there. Bam, you just spent $100 explaining how ticked off you are at the other person. And then they'll say this. They'll kind of put the notebook down real calm. You know, it sounds like it's really hard. And you're going to go, it is so hard. How, how much power do you think you have to change that person? I don't know. I say, well, you know, maybe what we probably should do is just focus on you. You're like, no, no, I'm here to tell you so you can, I can build a case and you can do something. They go, let's just focus on, on maybe you a little bit, which brings us to our third prayer. God, shape me into becoming the right person. God, shape me into becoming the right person. If you want to have Healthy relationships, at least relationships that are foundationally healthy, you have to start right here. It is the most important prayer you could ever pray for the rest of your relationships, for the rest of your life. In all manner of relationships of your choosing, and really in all manner of your whole life, this is the prayer you want to pray. Because what you're saying is God shaped me into becoming more of the image of Jesus, more of the image of God that you have intended me to be already polish the mirror, help me get back, whatever it is to make it such a way that I can be the person you intended me to be through the power of your Holy Spirit. If you are constantly intending that everybody else should improve, all of your relationships will suffer. And here's what this also means. I'm gonna sh- this, is, this is like just free. If you are in a dating relationship and you have no intention of it costing you anything, you do not want to be in a dating relationship that's healthy. Similarly, If the other person in the relationship in which you are dating has no intention of it costing them anything, they don't want to be in a relationship that's healthy either. Both people have to say, I'm sometimes a biter and a devourer. You all admitted that just a second ago. I need help to be better at this, and I need God's help to do this so that my relationships make a healthy kind of environment. Does that make sense? You with me? I love one of of my favorite people in the world. This This is a pastor who I want to be when I grow up. His name's Andy Stanley. He's at a church in, in Georgia. And he says this, speaking to dating couples, it's a great answer. Are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? 
Some of you are like, I don't know. I switched the decaf. Can you say that one more time? Are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? In other words, are you the kind of person, have you become the kind of person, or are you in a process to become the kind of person that you ultimately would want to be finding? In other words, that person who's out there, the mystical other person, I know some of you aren't ready to let go of the myth, the myth of this soulmate yet, but is that other person out there looking for someone that looks like you? Are you the kind of person that they'd want to be with? It is a healthy way to start all relationships. As we get through this series, over each week, you're going to see different pieces of this series kind of come together. But I want you to capture is the critical prayer that says, God, will you shape me into becoming the kind of person that you intended me to be? This is the only person you can allow God to do the work in in your life. You can pray for other people, but if you are unable to begin to start saying, God, would you begin to work in me, you will miss out on a wholeness of relationships which you intended. You were intended to dance. You were intended to be united with God and with, another, with other people in relationships. And the only way we stop kicking each other in the toes is if we pray the prayer, God, shape me into the person you intended me to become. Let's pray. Jesus, as we, um, as we kind of move to a time to respond to you in worship, play, putting our prayers in songs, Father, we have an awareness of our own tendency to bite and to devour. We have bitten and devoured other people. We have been bitten and been devoured by other people. And we would rather dance. I know there's a huge amount of hurt in this room, Jesus. People in the process of moving through deep relational pain. Might you meet them in this moment? Might your Holy Spirit begin even the process of healing and hope for them? Might your desire to be with the ones you love, which is us, be made known to us? For some of you guys that are sitting here, by the way, just with your eyes still closed and maybe considering, maybe you need to come forward for prayer during the time we have a response here. Maybe you need to write a prayer in a prayer wall and place it in that wall so people might pray for you during this week. Maybe you want to pray with our prayer team as well. But Jesus, we turn over this time to you to respond. We have a hunger to know you and to walk with you and to be with you. Might you meet us in our deepest need. Might we pray the prayer our whole life. Shape us into being the kind of person you intended us to be. Hear our prayer now as we sing, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. And as Jeff said, we are created to be connected to Jesus first. Because he is the one who fulfills.